Hey, two, two more quick things before I, I get into the message tonight. One is that, that I just was praying this week and, and just have had a sense that there might be some people here that maybe you paid bills on the 15th and you had something left over. It might be that you just have something extra and you've been praying about where to give it. Then you've got two great options that we just prayed over as part of our offering. And that's you can go to the Established Footsteps website. They've got a giving uh, link that's there so that you can give to what they're doing in Haiti. And then if you go to the City Life Church webpage and go to the giving link there, you can give directly to Forrest and Hannah and for the money that they're raising uh, for that trip to China. So that we're just proud of what they're doing throughout the world, and it's just our privilege to be a part of it. So, Father, we just we know, God, that it takes resources to do the things that they're doing, God. And we know that they have made great sacrifices personally to go and do these trips and to answer your call. And I pray, Father, for that for those of us that you're asking us to sacrifice in a way that partners with them. God, just believing now, even as we're praying, that you're speaking to somebody's heart, God, that they're going to go on and they're going to give towards one of those two opportunities, God, to join and partner with them and what they're doing around the world. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said... Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, we're in a series called Hot Sign Your Soul. I'm going to talk a little bit about that if this is your first weekend with us since we launched this series to explain what that means. But Matthew 16, 24 to 27 is really our text that's taking us through the summer. Verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Do you believe in love at first sight or should I walk by again? Oh, yeah, And everybody who's not laughing, they weren't here last weekend, right? Did David Godwin not do an amazing job last weekend while we were gone? If you weren't here, I know you should clap for that. An amazing message. I loved how he opened with talking about crazy pickup lines. I love the moment, too, where he hadn't thought through that you were giving them to him and the awkwardness that that created for him, which was pretty funny, right? He's like, oh, no, I just realized you're giving me a pickup line as your pastor. So, but, uh, but then how he connected that to, to the things that Jesus said to people to get them to follow him. And it seems as though, as we're going to read one here, this is not a great pickup line for people to come and follow you. We love David. He's at home with a sick daughter, and he's feeling a little bit under the weather himself. But David, if you're listening to the podcast, we're proud of you. We love you. Can we just say that we are privileged that not only he's pastoring the next generation, but he's pastoring us. Come on. Come on, you say this right there. Say that again. All right. Okay. I'm going to wear this shirt every week, right, and just, just point to it. We're going to be talking about that shirt in just a minute. All right, here we go. If any of, this is what Jesus says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man, here it comes, will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge people according to their deeds. This series, this summer, is about this one question. What are you doing this day to get ready for that day? 
What are you doing today in this life, in the time that you have here to get ready for the day that you're going to stand before Jesus that he says is coming where we have to give an account for our lives? That word there, deeds, in the Greek is the word praxis, and we're going to talk about that. That's the word that, that we've used to describe our discipleship model. And, and what that means, it doesn't just mean things that you do. It literally means that which characterizes your life, which means that you're going to be judged based on your best day, You're not going to be judged based on your worst day. I think he's going to talk to us about our best days. I think he's going to talk to us about our worst days. But we're going to be judged by what what has characterized our life, which is why the emphasis of our discipleship is on the character the character of Christ. Our discipleship model has four distinct components. I'm going to do just a little bit of review, but if you want more review, then you can go to the website from a few weeks ago and listen to the message that launched the series. But there's four components. There's an invitation, there are commands, then there are pathways, and there are virtues. An invitation, commands, pathways, and virtues. And there are also four numbers that correspond to these four concepts. And so I've got a giveaway here that I'm going to do. I'm going to give it to one of our youth, maybe. We'll start there. Who's bold enough? You can be thinking, what are the four numbers that correspond with those four concepts? This is a coupon for a free t-shirt from the swag shop. So I'm trying to do my part, right? You might say, well, I'm not really a t-shirt person. The question is, are are you into kids going to camp and having an encounter with God, right? So if you don't want the t-shirt, that's okay. Just write the check for $16 and leave the t-shirt there, right? And they'll sell it twice. So come on. All right, one of our young people want to take advantage? Four numbers? Four numbers that correspond to the four concepts? Anybody? Four numbers. Now, I know, but I'm not sure that's a teenager. Oh, it is. It is a teenager. No, it's too late. Too late. Too late. But i got a giveaway for you if you get them right. All right. You, what you're going to do, you're going to whisper those in my ear because I don't want you to tell, sorry, to tell him. Because i got, I, got, I got extra giveaways. Give me, give me the... Okay, good. All right. She's got it right. Come on. I got a, I got a, $10, I got a $10 iTunes gift card. Right, give, me your, give me your best shot. Give me four numbers. Come on. The one, the six, the 12, and the 24. Nice. Nice. Young people are paying attention. There you go, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, there's one invitation. There are six commands. There's 12 pathways, and there are 24 virtues. And this summer, we're breaking down this model because this is, our, this is the way in which we're going to get ready for that conversation. We want you to be a part of a church that understands what's waiting for you, when you breathe your last, and we want you to know what to do between now and then to get ready for that conversation. You know, one of the things I loved about Pastor David's sermon last week is that he gave us some context. And it's context that's important for us. And that context is relationship. Vanessa and I didn't talk about what I was going to be focusing on tonight. So I love the wrap-up that God gave to her about this idea of the importance for all of us to be in community. You cannot experience the kind of discipleship that the Bible speaks to by yourself. You can experience some of it, but you're not going to experience all of it without putting yourself out there into a community of people. The invitation, 1 Corinthians 11.1, what does Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. How are you going to do that by yourself, right? 
Who are you going to be following and who's going to be following you? And then you've got to remember that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter to an entire city of people. And what, he, what was he saying to them? Is that all of you should be following somebody, right? And all of you should have somebody who's following you as you're endeavoring to become more like Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think that must be an awfully big crowd of people in order for that command to be fulfilled. The whole context of discipleship is about relationship. What, what, about, what about just the commands? Let's just look at those just for a minute. This idea of, of follow Jesus. How are you going to do that with that relationship? The next command is to love God. How, how can you have a loving relationship with God unless there's a sense of intimacy and a connection between you and him? The next one is love people. You, you can't care for people if you're not in relationship with people. How, how about... Matthew 5.48, the most daunting command of them all. I like to say it in the King James because it's scarier, right? Be, be ye therefore perfect. Be perfect. The biggest breakthroughs that I've experienced in my life, you know where they've come from? They've come from people that love me enough to tell me what I don't want to hear. Some of the biggest breakthroughs in my life have come through being married. You live with someone for 19 years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Are you with me? You, you know who people really are. You help each other change. I think about relationships that I have with men in this church and the way that they've spoken into my life over these last nine years. You cannot change. I cannot change without relationship. How about the fifth command that is go everywhere? Why are we going out into the world? Vanessa already talked about it, right? To reach these groups of people that God has put. It's about relationship. And this last one is to receive power. How do we receive power? We're not filled with something. We're filled with someone. And it's about the being filled with the Holy Spirit. See, every part of this journey of discipleship says to us relationship. If I accept one invitation, then I must obey six commands. And to obey six commands, I must walk in 12 pathways. And when I walk in 12 pathways, I become 24 virtues. Think of it this way. There are four distinct parts to our model, which we call praxis, or what we can call a map to discipleship, the one, the six, the 12, and the 24. Here's another way to describe how we see discipleship. When Jesus invites me to be his disciple, he expects me to obey his commands. I obey those commands by walking in spiritual pathways. And when I walk in those pathways, I become a virtuous person, the ultimate measure of my progress as a disciple. So, so tonight, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at who Jesus is. And the reason why we're going to look at who Jesus is, it's because if you were going to give yourself to someone so fully, then we should get a glimpse of who it is that God is asking us to surrender our life to. If, 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 if we expect you to, to do what Jesus said there in Matthew 16 about abandoning yourself, then the only way that's going to happen is if the Holy Spirit begins to give you a revelation of who Christ is. See, if, if I'm going to be in this relationship with Jesus that he calls discipleship, there should be some emotion that begins to well up in my heart. And the way that emotion begins to well up in my heart and the way that emotion begins to well up in your heart is to get a revelation of Christ, who he is as a person, who the Bible says that he is. Because it's this, right, this isn't a contract. 
This isn't some type of arranged marriage. This isn't some type of, of strategy that you're employing because you want something. This is about your life being relationally connected to someone called Jesus that should be defined by words like passion-filled, life-defining, and moment-by-moment governing. Things that are that big require emotions that are large, and the only way those emotions are going to come is through a revelation of Christ. And the way we're going to do that tonight is we're going to do a little time travel. We're going to travel back in time and look at who Jesus is through a man by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah lived 600 years before the birth of Christ. At least 600 years. It's hard to get it exact, but it's at least six centuries. And when you read what Isaiah wrote about Jesus, it is as though he was actually alive 600 years after Jesus and had six centuries of information to study to be able to write with a kind of specificity. But he didn't need six centuries. You know why? Because he had the Holy Spirit in his life, giving him a prophetic insight into who this person, they didn't know it was going to be Jesus, they knew that it was going to be a Messiah. And the specificity with which he writes, he gives us incredible detail of who Jesus is. Now I'm just going to give you a little bit of an overarching, but then we're going to really hone in on five titles that Isaiah gives us out of Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah had a prophetic ministry for over 30 years primarily in Jerusalem, and he lived over 600 years before the birth of Christ. There are 38 specific prophecies about the Messiah that speak to his personal history, his mission, his titles, and his characteristics, giving us more detailed prophetic insight than any other Old Testament prophet. Listen to what Isaiah says about his personal history, the personal history of Jesus. He gives us specific details about his birth, about his family, and about his anointing. In regards to his mission, he calls him the illuminator, the lawgiver, the sin bearer, the judge, the liberator, the intercessor, the reprover, the burden bearer, the only savior. His characteristics are wisdom, righteousness, perseverance, meekness, greatness, discernment, silence. I love that one, this idea of self-control in the face of persecution. Radiance, sinlessness, saving power, justice, gentleness, compassion, vicarious suffering. Listen to the titles that the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to give Christ. Emmanuel, Prince of Peace, Arm of the Lord, Mighty God, Mighty Traveler. You love that one? Ever been on a road trip? Ever been from heaven to earth and back again through death and resurrection? Yeah? Mighty Traveler. Divine Servant, Everlasting Father, Anointed Preacher, and righteous king. If you're looking for a study to get a hold to this summer, then get a hold of a Thompson Chain Reference Bible, and in the back there, there's a study help that gives you a list of all the prophecies of the Old Testament, and one of the study helps that's in the back of there are the 38 that Isaiah gives. It's far more than any other Old Testament prophet. He was the prophet of the coming Messiah. All right, let's read Isaiah 9, 6. Now, many of you are familiar with this, it says, for unto us a child is born. It's read a lot at Christmas Eve, especially in, 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 in Christmas services, especially in Christmas Eve services. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, 
And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's five amazing titles, isn't it? I'm reading out of the New King James here because some Bibles take Wonderful and Counselor and put them together. And I don't think there's a right or wrong in regards to that. But I'd like to separate them because I think there's something that we learn about Christ and just looking at Wonderful. And then there's something that we learn about Christ just looking at this idea of Counselor. The revelation of who he is should cause an overflow of emotion from our hearts that draws us deeper into this relationship called discipleship. Let me read that again. The revelation of who he is should cause an overflow of emotion from our hearts that draws us deeper into this relationship called discipleship. All right, so somebody here, tell me about a time where you experienced the feeling of wonder and awe and amazement. If you're married, this is your chance to get some really big points. Hint, hint. Time where you experience wonder, awe, and amazement. Laurie. Yeah, the birth of your, of your especially your first child, but any of your children. No, no question. Somebody else. Time where you've experienced wonder and awe and amazement. Wow, you guys all have really boring lives. All right, Tyler. Come on, when you saw, right, when, you, when the door's open, isn't that right? When the door's open and there she is, nice, see? Follow his example, guys, I'm just telling you, all of you are in trouble, Cortez. When I had my first Krispy Kreme. Come on, first Krispy Kreme. First Krispy Kreme, come on. Marvin. Yeah, being on the back of a ship and looking off the back and the setting and the water churning and the, and the, and the, and the horizon. Yeah, un, right? There's settings that you've been in in nature where you experience wonder and awe. Somebody else, somebody else. You're getting warmed up now, Chad. Aurora Borealis in Iceland. We're just going to stop there, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, I do massage, so whenever I help people out of pain. Yeah, massage therapist and helping people out of pain. Yeah, she's going to be handing out cards at the end of the service, right? Which I'm going to be first in line, first in line, right? No, it's true, right? Because people that deal with pain, right, it's all-consuming in their life. And when you give someone relief, yeah, that's really good. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, when you're working with kids and you just see them get it, that's good. Come on, you guys are getting warmed up. All three kids slept through the night for the first time. Let's just stop and drink that in because those are my kids. I remember, I remember that, right? We woke up and we were like in a panic. What's happened, right? What's happened? This is giving you hope as, as parents, right? Hope, all right? And we go downstairs and they're all eating cereal and watching cartoons. We're like, hallelujah. And then the next one was when they didn't need help in the bathroom anymore, right? Did you ever hear that? First airplane ride, yeah, yeah. As a kid, were you young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First airplane ride is good. One more. Sandy in the back. Say it, say it loud. Yeah, seeing a life transform. So good, Anthony. I was just going to say, looking out of the back of a Chinook in the mountains of Nice. Looking out of the back of a Chinook in the mountains of Afghanistan. So let me, let, me, let me ask you this. So you take that experience. What if you could materialize that emotion of wonder and awe and amazement. You with me? What if you could 
make that into something that you could keep, right? Now, now what if every time you experience wonder and awe and amazement, you could do that? Every time, right? Think of the collection of whatever these things would be. Now, now what if we took your collection and put it together with the collection of everybody else in this room? That's a lot of wonder and awe and amazement, isn't it? Now, what if we took our collection and we put it together with every other collection in Newport News, in Hampton, in Pocosin, right? And the list, every state, every nation. What if we could take all the wonder and the awe and the amazement that's existed from the beginning of time until the end of time, and somehow we could gather all of that together in one place? You know what Jesus could do with all of that? He could put it in his pocket. Not to diminish our wonder and awe and amazement, but to help us to understand how big he is. See, when Isaiah called him wonderful, he's not talking about like we can be wonderful. Because sometimes we're wonderful, and then usually we're not. <laughs> right? This idea of Jesus being wonderful is that this is, only that this is all that he can ever be. And his wonder is so big and so grand that all the wonder and all the awe and all the amazement and the whole universe, right in his pocket. I'm not even talking cargo pants. I'm talking skinny jeans. They could just go right in there. All right, so how many of you are playing Pokemon right now? Raise your hand. All right. All the people that lied and didn't raise your hand, this is your second chance. Come on, anybody else? It's fascinating, right, the things that capture our attention, isn't it? Things that just capture our consciousness, and and, and it's almost like there's an impulse that we can't stop. But but you know what? A few years from now, heck, probably just a few months from now, people are going to say, Pokey what? Because in our human experience, things are, are exciting, and then they die back down. And then we look on for something else. Jesus will never lose his luster. When you get a revelation of how wonderful Jesus is, can I just tell you, it only gets more wonderful for the rest of your life. Rest of your life! There you go. All right, come on. So we were having lunch this week at, at County Grill. Yeah. yeah. And the little cake bites, we're, we're renaming them. They're not corn muffins. They're cake bites that they serve, right, at, at, the, at, the, at the table. And, and, and so we're eating, and, and we go to lunch together as a staff every, every Thursday. And, and, uh, and, and Pastor David was, was there, and, and he used this phrase, that, which I was told I'm not allowed to use, which is like youth slang for something being wonderful, for something being incredible. And I said, what was that you just said? And David said, you can't say it. You, you can't, right? It was like we were on vacation. Vanessa threw out the word squad, and Ethan said, what did you just say? Right? It's like when they're little, right, and your kids, like curse words in our house were like shut up and stupid, and they would say that. So they would say, we'd say what, did, what did you just say? Right? So Ethan does that back. What did you just say? And then he says to her, he says, okay, you can use that around us, but that's it. You can't use that. You can't use that anywhere else, right? Young people, they've got all kinds of words and slogans and sayings that they use to communicate emotion. 
They're, they're saying, hey, this is amazing. That's what Isaiah is doing for us. He's saying that's what Jesus is. So when I get a revelation about how wonderful Jesus is, there should be emotion in my heart that's described by words like wonder and awe and amazement. Wonder and awe and amazement. Because when I get a revelation of who Jesus is, there should be an overflow of emotion that begins to rise up in my heart that cannot be contained, that draws me deeper into this relationship that he calls discipleship. Wonderful. He's counselor. He's counselor. How many of you? I've, ever, I've talked to counselors. Anybody here ever talked to counselors before? Aren't they amazing people? Right? They're patient. They're kind. They're gentle. Right? That's why we go see counselors. Because we don't really know anybody else like that. <laughs> they listen. They ask us all kinds of questions that no one ever else has ever think, thought to ask us. You know why they're doing that? It's because a good counselor needs to get to know you before they can really help you. And so they, they put the time in that you need, one, to feel comfortable with them, but they put the time in that's necessary for them to learn about your story. They've got to understand about where you came from and things that have happened to you. And, and I like to tell people when I'm recommending them go to counseling, I say, if you were to go to, uh, to a faraway place that you've never been to before, you need a guide to go there with you to help you find where you're trying to get to. That's what a counselor does for your heart. Because you're going to explore parts of your life that you've never explored before. Even though it's your life, it's foreign territory. And so you get someone who's skilled to walk with you and to help you understand and to connect the dots. It takes a massive amount of time to get to a place where there starts to be results. I tell people all the time, when you're going to go, it might take you a few tries to get to the right counselor because you've got to get to one that you can connect with. So you might leave that meeting and say, I can't really connect with that person. That's okay. They're used to that. They don't take it personally. You go to the next one and find you, you, you find one. And then it takes lots of sessions. But it's not this, okay, I'm going to, maybe two sessions, let's get this thing worked out. But they're like, just from your phone call, we're going to be together for two years, right? <laughs> we, we, we're in a hurry, there's a time where you meet Jesus for the first time. But that's not what it's like for him. Because he's known you from the foundations of the earth. There, there's a moment in time where you feel like, I met Christ. Christ doesn't know what that feeling's like. Because the Bible says that he's known us from the foundations of the earth. Psalm 139 says that, that even when we were being woven together in the wombs of our mothers, he knew us. He saw us. It talks about the books in heaven. You have a name on a book. I have a name on a book. And all the story of our entire life is written out on those pages. He knows us. And when I realize how well Christ knows me, how deeply he knows me, that he knows me better than myself, you know what begins to happen inside of me? Confidence and trust begins to well up in my heart. 
See, when I get a revelation that he's wonderful, and when I get a revelation that he's counselor, my heart begins to stir with wonder and awe and amazement and confidence and trust. And when I begin to get a revelation of who he is, I'm drawn deeper because of these feelings into this relationship that he calls discipleship that should be life-defining, passion-filled, and moment-by-moment governing. He's wonderful, and he's counselor. He has an answer for every one of your questions. He has a solution for every one of your problems. And he has a plan. He has a plan for every time you face something that's too complicated for your own human understanding. Counselors have limits. There's times where counselors, if they're good, will say to you, I've done everything that I can do to help you. And they send you on to somebody else, if they're good at what they do. Jesus never has to send you to anyone else. Ever! He's wonderful, he's counselor, he's mighty God. This, this third one, it, it always strikes me as being redundant, does it not? Because if he's God, he's mighty. And, and I think that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to put that there is that, is that he wanted us to understand that we live in a finite world, but God transcends all of that. I think he puts mighty in front of God because he wants us to understand something that we cannot understand. And is that God exists outside of a world of boundaries. There are no limits to who he is and what he can do. It's, we, our, our minds can't even wrap around it. While we're, we're on vacation, I don't even, oh, I think we got onto it because our, our new addiction for, for, for our television show is Shark Tank. Anybody else watch that? I've just gotten into that. I am fascinated, right? Fascinated by that show. And so, so then it got us asking the question, who are the richest people in the world? Right, so because we started with those people that are on chart, the the the, uh, the venture capitalists that are on there, like Mark Cuban and things like that, and we were like, how rich are they? Right, what's their net worth? And so we Google that, and we're, t- we're learning about how much money they have and how they got to where they are, and then we said, okay, what's the list of the richest people in the world? Uh, it, if you've never done it, it's fascinating. Billions upon billions of dollars, some of these people are worth. At one point, I think it was Ethan said. I'm not sure anybody in their family's ever going to have to work again. And I said, yeah, not until the world comes to an end. Now, even if they try hard. But you know what? There's limits to what they have. There's limits to their power. The, rich, the person that's at the top of that list, even though that they kind of circulate out, right, and they're trading places, the person that's at the top and the person that's ever going to be at the top from the beginning of time until the end of the time, you know what they are? They're limited. They are, at some point, they come to the boundary of their influence. God does not know what that feeling is like. There are no boundaries to his power. There's no boundary to his resources. There is no, no, no boundary to what he can do for you when we're in a time of need. He's mighty God. And when that begins to come alive inside of me, it makes me want to celebrate. It's why our music is loud. It's why we're passionate in our worship. It's why people like me who can't dance want to desperately to dance, right? 
Can, can I just, it's one of the reasons why Vanessa talks about this idea of being excited to come back to church. It's not just because we've been away. It's because we have this revelation that he is our mighty God. And when you begin to understand how mighty he is, there should be something inside of you that says, i got to celebrate. I, I can't help it. If you're the most reserved introverted person in all the world, when nobody's looking, you're jumping up and down and shouting. Because you understand how great God is. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. And my heart should be overflowing with wonder and awe and amazement and confidence and trust and celebration. And then I realize Isaiah, he's just getting warmed up. Because he's not just wonderful, he's not just counselor, he's not just mighty God, he's everlasting father. Everlasting father. Father means that he always has our best interest at heart. That's what that means. He always has your best interest at heart. There's never a moment, there's never a moment where he doesn't do for you what's in your best interest. Now, it might not feel like it's in our best interest at the time. But that's not ever because God made a mistake. God never has to come back to you and apologize because he made the wrong decision. He's a a perfect father. But isn't it interesting to me, it's interesting to me, and I I trust it's interesting to you. He doesn't just say father because it seems as though that might have been enough. He says everlasting father. And I think there's a reason why they're connected in this list together coming right after Mighty God because they're kind of living in both the same world. And that's this idea that we live in a finite world and God transcends all of that. So I was cleaning out the office refrigerator this week. We've been here at this office for about four years and we've never defrosted. The, it's got like a little uh, um, you know, college fridge in there. We keep water bottles and and uh, stuff like that, and maybe some energy drinks that <laughs> Pastor Justin drinks, but just, you know. There was an iceberg in that freezer that was big enough to sink the Titanic, right? It was so big that it had stretched out the drip pan underneath of it, and the door that's supposed to close on top of the freezer was sticking straight out, and whatever was in there, you couldn't even see. I mean, it was just this mass of ice in the whole top. I stuck it outside yesterday. What, it got up to like 106 with the heat index? After five hours in direct sunlight, it had still not completely melted. Right, I know. I was like, we got to call some geologists over here, all right? And so, so I'm like, we've got to defrost this thing. And so what I didn't know is that they were also cleaning the gutters on Friday here at NRBC. And so when I went out to check on it one time, it was like a squirrel had now made a nest inside this refrigerator because they had pushed stuff off the roof and now it had gone in the refrigerator. And then it rained like a monsoon, which caused all that stuff to stick to it like glue, right? So like 40 hours later, I finally get this refrigerator back in. And the whole time I'm cleaning this thing, I'm thinking about my freshman year in college. Because I had one of these little refrigerators just like that. And so I was going home for Christmas break, and my parents were there to pick me up. And, and, and my mom's always, who, who unplugs everything before you go away on vacation? Anybody unpluggers? Come on, don't be embarrassed. Raise your hand, proud and strong. All right. So my mom was an unplugger. I'm not an unplugger now. Right, because I'm like trying to, to, to deal with right. So I'm looking for stuff to plug in, right, when I go on vacation. So I do turn down the thermostat because I am cheap. So 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 
so my mom says, right, in my dorm, she says, don't forget, you got to unplug everything, right? So I'm like, yes, ma'am, right, because she's paying for college. So I'm unplugging everything, and so the refrigerator gets unplugged, which I had not really stopped to think about what that meant because there was a carton of eggnog in the refrigerator. And so, yeah, I know, you get that, right? And so when I come back from college and open up the refrigerator, right, there was a smell that came out of that refrigerator that you've not even smelled in the nursery on the worst day. And inside this cardboard carton of pet, no, pet eggnog, which is the only true eggnog, right? Pet eggnog. I, I, I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating in any way. It looked like a wig. There was mold hair that was growing, and it was this big, green, fuzzy, right in the middle of the refrigerator. So I closed the door and thought, I need to get this out of here, Right? But apparently, when the refrigerator is unplugged, the defrosting of the freezer drips into the drip pan, right? And that water had absorbed all of that smell. So when I went to tip the refrigerator, right, who's dry heaving right now? Anybody dry heaving? Come on, then I'm doing a good job telling this story, right? All of that water came out all over me all over the floor, on the rug. And I think probably there's somebody at Randolph-Macon College right now, right? I graduated in 89, right? Somebody's there right now going, you smell that? (laughs) Because everything in this world has an expiration date. Some stuff lasts a long time and some stuff only lasts a little while, but things expire. You expire. I'm going to expire. Relationships expire because people die. And so God says, what can I tell people about Jesus that's going to help them understand? He, he picked five for this one verse. And he says, let's not just call him father. Let's call him everlasting father because these people live in a world of limits where things expire and I want them to understand that when they begin this relationship with my son and their savior it is going to last forever it never ends forever forever and can I just tell you the sense of acceptance an affirmation and meaning that begins to rise up inside of me when somebody who is wonderful and counselor and mighty God wants to be in an eternal relationship with me like that. You see, when I, when I get a revelation of who Jesus is, right, there is emotion that begins to well up in my heart that draws me deep into this relationship that he calls discipleship. There is wonder and awe and amazement. And, 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 and there is this, this feeling of confidence and trust and celebration. And now there's acceptance, affirmation, and meaning. And he's still not done. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm all in already. But that's just how God is. He loves excess. He loves when, when, when you think he's done, oh, he's got so much more. And he brings it home. He brings it home with, with Prince of Peace. Who are my picky eaters in the room? Any picky eaters? Chris isn't in here, so let's talk about him. I hear him laughing back there in the room. So every Thursday, I love it, right? 
Because he's one of the pickiest eaters I've ever met, right? So I love because I used to be in the, in the service industry. And, and when you go to take somebody's order, right, you, you know who they are by the, the first words that come out of their mouth. C- can I ask you a question? <laughs> or they start with this. Okay. <laughs> right? right? You know. Anybody ever been a server? Yeah? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, there's a whole list of it. And you know right away, here we go. I like my pencil. Get a clean piece of paper out. And you, I'm not watching Chris. You know who I'm watching? I'm watching the server. Because I want to know how good are you right now. Right? How good are you? And we were at County Grill this week. Her name was Angel, and she was an angel. Because she did not blink an eye. Didn't blink an eye. Ask Chris asking all these questions, things he wants and doesn't want and things on the side and then changes his mind right and she's just right and then she's scratching it out and then three pieces of paper later and, and, right, and, then, and by that time, right, somebody else changes their mind so that she's, right, she's just thinking, I just need to get out of here. So, so this is how some of us are with Jesus. I'll take some wonderful. I'd, I'd like... Uh, I'd like a double, give me, give me some extra counselor. I don't care how much that's going to cost, but I, you know, um, I want mighty God and everlasting father, but I, I just want the peace. You can bring the prince on the side. In fact, you know what? Just keep the prince. I don't want that. You know why that is? Because we want Jesus, what he's going to do for us, but we don't want the authority that he demands that he must have over us. And, and we, we treat him like the picky person that's ordering at the restaurant where we get to, to customize who he is to us. And he says to you and me, the menu is fixed. Unless I submit to his authority, I cannot have the peace that he offers me. Unless I submit to his authority, I cannot have the peace He offers me. Peace is his kingdom. And as long as I am outside the boundary of his realm, I will never experience the prize of his rule. See, because what your heart doesn't understand and what my heart doesn't understand is that we're desperate for his authority. That his authority is the pathway to the peace that you're desperate to have. And the reason why you don't have peace is because you've rejected his authority over your life. And you're waiting for him to change. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm here to change you. Because he's wonderful. Because he's counselor. Because he's mighty God. Because he's everlasting father and prince of peace. And when we get a revelation of who he is, our heart begins to burst with emotion that we cannot contain that draws us deep into this relationship that he calls discipleship. So I'm asking you tonight, when you hear the word Jesus and you look into your heart, do you find wonder and awe and amazement? Do you find confidence and trust? Do you find celebration? Do you find acceptance and affirmation and meaning? And do you find submission and surrender and abandonment. And I like that last one. Because you've got to be willing to abandon every sense of entitlement that you have. Every sense of abandonment, you've got to be willing to get rid of it all. Every entitlement. Anybody ever been seasick? Yeah. 
my wife's laughing because she knows the story I'm getting ready to tell, right? I was more seasick in the Outer Banks than I've ever been in my life. And I'm a boater, right? I'm on the water all the time. Lakes and rivers are not the ocean. Hello? If you saw the picture, my, my, my boys caught, these fish were so powerful, Claire would, couldn't even try. They caught 87 pounds of, of amberjack. At one point, Derek was literally on his knees, and this rod was bent over in half, and he's just shaking trying to get this fish in. 87 pounds of amberjack we ate. That night when we sat down and ate that meal, I looked at them and said, this is the most expensive meal that we're ever going to eat as a family. Okay? Never done charter fish before. Always wanted to do it my whole life, right? So I thought, this summer we're going to finally go. Book the trip. We didn't even do the offshore. We just did the near shore, which is kind of halfway, halfway out. When we got out there, how many people have seen the movie The Finest Hour, right, about the Coast Guard? Yeah, it felt like we were in there, right? Jonathan's in the Navy. He knows what, right? Well, there were swells where we're rising and dropping and rising and dropping. And, and, and we had taken the motion sickness medicine. We had done everything that we're supposed to do. I'm not going in the cabin. I'm facing front. I'm doing everything we can. And, and the fish get on and they're catching them. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just, I'm going to roll over the side. I'm going home to be with Jesus. I'm ready. <laughs> Right? Because see, if you're, I've never been seasick. Like, it is the worst feeling in the world. And, 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 and so they, they kept saying, you know, if you just throw up, you'll feel better. If you just throw up. They lie. <laughs> lie. So I start throwing up. <laughs> an hour later, an hour later, I'm still dry heaving over the side of this boat. I have never been so sick, not even in my times of debauchery of running from God I've ever been so sick as I was. And I was laid out in the back of this boat, hanging over the side, right? And it just, it, it's, you get to a point where there's nothing left to even throw up, right? So we had to cut the whole charter short. Yeah, it's the kind of dad I am. Like, <laughs> uh, we're going home. You just turn this thing around. You keep the money. We still tip the maid. Everything we would have in eight hours was four hours, and that was some expensive fish. If you've, if you've ever experienced that feeling of dry heaving where you can't even catch your breath, this, this is what I want to tell you. That's where Jesus wants to take you with your entitlement. He wants to get it out of you. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be one of the hardest things that you ever do in your life. One of the hardest things that you will ever do in your life is to get that entitlement of your humanity up out of you. And it is hard. It takes longer than you think that it should. You think you're not going to make it. People are checking, are you, are you going to be okay? You want to turn the ship around and go the other way? And Jesus says to you and he says to me, unless we get this stuff out of you, you're never going to be better. Ever. Because he's wonderful. Because he's counselor. Because he's mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. Now I know you, like me, our hearts are broken because of what's been happening in our nation and because of what's happening in our world, right? It's not just here. Terrible things are happening everywhere. 
But I want to talk a little bit tonight about just what's happening in our nation and with what's been going on over the last few weeks. In some ways, I'm glad that I was out of town when everything that was happening because it gave me an opportunity to just disengage and pull back and think and reflect. And when I got into the office this week, Chris House and I, we, we had the most amazing conversation with each other. And one of the things that we talked about and that we agreed upon, and we're not the only ones that are saying this, but the only path forward that we have as a people, as, as a nation, is that we have got to spend meaningful, intentional time with one another, with people that are different from us. And, we, and it's got to become a lifestyle, not a reaction. We can't just do it because something's happened and then go back to the life that we've been living. It's the, it's the only. Now, there's lots of things that need to happen, but if that doesn't happen, then nothing's going to change. We've got to be intentional about finding people that look different, that have had different lives, that come from different places, different color of skin, different socioeconomic status, backgrounds. Come on, we can make that list. We've got to listen to one another. Doesn't mean we have to agree, but it means that we also have to stop trying to change that person. We need to listen to their story. Even if they need to be changed, you've got to earn the right to do that by listening to their story. You've got to listen. You've got to listen to people. I know that's how it works, because for 10 years of of my life, I lived in the inner city of Richmond, in this little community called Barton Heights, from my early 20s until my early 30s. It was a HUD home, and and, uh, it was built in the early 1900s, and and Barton Heights is a little community on the north side of Richmond that's nestled right in between Gilpin Court and Highland Park. It's one of the most impoverished areas of Richmond, one of the highest, when we lived there, it was one of the highest murder rates and crime rates in, in all the city. Not the highest, but it was up there in the top tier when the police departments, you know, make their, make their list. Ten years, ten years we lived there. And when Vanessa and I got married, one of the things that I was able to start doing, which I wasn't really able to do as a a young adult living there by myself, was to really reach out with kids and to be able to spend time with kids and have kids into our home. It was Halloween at our house all year round. We kept a candy basket by our door, and kids were bold enough to come and knock on the door. Then they got candy, and we got to know this, this whole group of kids, and they began to do the homeless ministry that we did together, and we took them to church with us. You've heard the story before when I got pulled over on a Sunday morning driving my, my Dodge Stratus, and the policeman says, I'm not even going to look into that back seat, sir, because I'm going to have to write you a ticket. I don't know how many children you have in there, but you have got to get a different car, right? But he knew I was taking them to church, and he walked back to his car, and then we got a minivan later that day. We're saying we're, we live there because when I was a young adult and I was praying about where I was supposed to live, this is what God spoke to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Fred, a well-lit room doesn't need another candle. So I know I had to go live in a place of despair. And so I went. We lived there for, for 10 years. And I'll never forget, it was about five years in. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. It was about five years in. And I was outside and playing with these kids and, and uh, goofing off and joking and laughing and and, uh, and all of a sudden, they started doing their white people impersonations, right? And they were good. And then they're telling jokes about white people, right? And I'm laughing. And then at some point, I went, hey, 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 I'm white. And, and they looked at me, and then they looked at each other. And then they looked at me and went, you're not white, Mr. Fred. And then they went right back to telling their jokes. And I went right back to laughing. 
You know what they were saying to me? They weren't saying to me, you're not white in the sense that you're black. That's not what they were saying to me. Now, these are elementary school-age kids, and so they didn't understand it here, what I'm getting ready to articulate to you, but they understood it here. See, they understood that they had an idea of what a white person was. Some of it was real, but some of it was bias and prejudice and preconceived ideas, right? What they were saying to me was, and it, it took probably five years to get there. You track it with me here? They were saying to me, Fred, you're not that person that we imagined that you would be. And the only way we got there is that we lived together, we talked to each other, we cried together, we laughed together, we, we, were, we did life together. And biases and prejudices that I had, and I'm telling you, I grew up in the country, oh, I had them. And you know what? I still have them, and so do you. If you don't think that you've got biases and prejudices, then you've got another problem that's called arrogance. And you're hurting twice as bad as the rest of us. We've all got biases and prejudices. We, we do. And I'm telling you, the only way those things are going to start to break down, and they don't break down easy, is that we've got to get in rooms with people that are different from us. Meaningful, strategic conversations and walk through life together. For our nation, this has got to become a lifestyle and not a project. A lifestyle and not a reaction. I don't know all the things that we're going to do as a church to begin to go there, but I'm telling you, we're going to go there. The staff started talking this week about practical things that we can begin to do. We're going to begin talking with it with the regional team. The campus governance teams are going to start talking about it. Campus directors teams, the all church leadership team. And when we get to the fall, I'm just, because it's going to take some time to put some designs on it because we're not in a hurry. Because these things that we're going to do and the changes that we're going to make, they're going to be part of us forever. Part of us forever. We can't change the world, but you know what we can change? We can change this room right here. We can change this room right here. And I'm telling you, if this room changes, the world will change because then you go go out into this world and you're going to begin to change the way that your children think and the way that your children talk. And there's going to be generations of change that's going to begin to come. And you might say, Fred, I I don't know. That seems like you're reaching too far. And you know what I would say to you? It's not far enough. Because as far as we reach, it's still not going to rise to the measure of wonderful. It's still not going to rise to the measure of counselor. It's still not going to rise to the measure of mighty God and everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Because he's in those places waiting for us to come. He goes with us. So I'm filled with hope when I look at the place that we are as a nation because I know the Lord that's over it. And when I have a revelation of who he is, and I hope your revelation of him is getting bigger tonight, as we go out as a nation into these conversations that we've got to have, we should be hope-filled. Our heart should be overflowing with a sense of wonder and awe and amazement and confidence and trust and celebration. It should be filled with with acceptance and affirmation and meaning and surrender and submission and abandonment. And when Christians start to feel like that because they understand who Jesus is, oh, I'm telling you, we can affect change in this nation that will change history. Stand with me. Father, we we dedicate this moment of worship to this moment in our own lives. Help us to see who Jesus is. God, we know there, there was a moment, there was a day where Isaiah woke up 
and you began to show him stuff that he didn't even understand what he was looking at and he began to write it down and he couldn't have been more right. Father, show us stuff tonight as we sing this song about who your son Jesus is because we want our hearts to overflow with the kind of emotion that draws us so deep into this relationship that's called discipleship that it will be the most impassioned thing of our lives, that it would be life-defining, passion-filled, and moment-by-moment governing until we breathe our last in Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together. No one a Savior, isn't He wonderful? We sing hallelujah, because Christ is risen. When we think about all the names of God, we will bow down before Him, for He is Lord sing hallelujah Christ is risen oh what a savior oh what a savior isn't he wonderful we sing hallelujah cause Christ is risen and this is our response to his name we bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. We sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior, oh, what a Savior. Oh, isn't he wonderful?
Chapter 11 in verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, he will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. Come on, he will give justice to the poor. Make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. And in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear and the cub and the calf will lie down together and the lion will eat hay like a cow. And a baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will harm or destroy in all my holy mountain for as the waters fill the sea so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. So, Father, we say tonight, we want to know the Lord. Jesus, we want to know who you are. We want to know you to greater depth as wonderful and counselor and mighty God and everlasting Father and not just a person who gives peace, but the Prince of Peace. Abandoning 
all of our right to rule ourselves to you. Because, Father, what we know from this text in Isaiah 11 is that you're saying to us, we're supposed to be a part of seeing this to come to fruition. That as we get to know Jesus, you, you begin to change the world in which we live because you change us. Let that change come. In Christ's name. And everybody said together, amen. We'll see you next week.